0: Enjoyable experiences, if you look back and you really think about an enjoyable experience you've had in your life, you feel light, you feel like you're, you know, the sky is blue, you're smiling, everything is amazing, everything's fantastic. And so when you start to think in that way, and then try to learn something, you'll learn it 10 times faster. Welcome, my name is Michael Ascetta. I'm the founder of Matador Canine Brilliance and author of the Dog Training Cheat Codes. You're listening to the Acknowledged Dogs Podcast. What are the five golden rules of dog training? Now, I had not heard these rules until I was about eight years into my professional training journey. They were never laid out to me. No one ever explained them. And I want to explain them to you because if you live by these five rules, you will have a more effective training program with your dog. You'll have a better relationship and you'll be able to do the things that I get to do with my dogs simply by knowing these five things. So I'm going to break down each one of these five rules, but I want to give them to you all right now so you can start to digest the information and ask yourself questions that hopefully I'll answer throughout the episode. So the five golden rules are as follows. Number one, get to know your dog. Truly, truly understand your dog. Know them on a deep, personal level. Number two, make it an enjoyable experience. Make their life an enjoyable experience. Make training an enjoyable experience. Make hanging out with you an enjoyable experience. Number three, consistency is vital to your training success. All trainers, regardless of their methodologies, will agree that consistency is the common denominator between those who are successful with their dogs and those who are constantly struggling. Consistency is vital to your training success. Number four, learn when to call it a day. When do you stop training? When do you stop trying to get your dog to do stuff? When do you just give up and you say, okay, today is not the day. We'll attack it again tomorrow. And number five, avoid punishing your dog at all costs. I'm going to go deep on that one later, but if you are an individual who's on the fence about rewarding or punishing your dog, you're going to want to stay tuned for that one. Avoid punishing your dog at all costs. It is not worth it. It is not worth it. Okay. So let's jump into number one get to know your dog on a very deep personal level. Now, there's three areas to this that we wanna we wanna talk about today. Number one, your dog's personality. Your dog's personality is their their individual temperament. Are they lazy? Are they hyperactive? Do they have certain dislikes or, uh, dislikes or likes, rather, right? What is their personality? Every dog is different, and we want to look at this one first because of the fact that many people fall into other categories, which we'll talk about in a second. But your dog's personality is primarily number one. You cannot just have this blanket statement that says, oh, well, my dog is very much like this other dog. No, your dog is your dog, and if you start comparing your dog to maybe a previous dog you had, or your neighbor's dog, or your friend's dog, or the dog you saw on TV, you're not going to directly understand your dog, their struggles, and their triumphs, right? What, what does my dog know that other dogs don't know? What does my dog experience that other dogs don't experience? <laughs> this is very similar to human beings, individuals. We classify ourselves into groups, and what ends up happening is we don't deal with the individual in front of us. Wow, we're getting political right out of the gate here. Two and a half minutes in, we're talking about politics, but right when you see a group of individuals or people, you, you just clump them all together instead of talking to that individual person. I love not knowing what my friends and family's political opinions are, because maybe I have a bias towards a particular opinion then I don't want to see my family and friends separated because of that. I've seen plenty of people go through that. Right? You, you've known someone your entire life, and they end up going down a different path than you on a political spectrum, and now you guys are no longer friends. That's ridiculous. And I think that's why a lot of people say they don't talk about religion, they don't talk about politics, and they don't talk about their job income with other people because they don't want to damage the rapport they already have. So you need to look at the individual people-wise, and you need to look at the individual dog training-wise. What does your dog like? What do they not like? I always talk about the preference test and I've talked about it here on the podcast before, but that's one thing when you're talking about training that you'd want to do. Your dog's personality will determine what they prefer. Do they like cheese? Do they like chicken? Do they like pork? Do they like turkey? Do they like playing with toys? So you got to know their own personality in order to have a successful relationship and program in training. Number two, we're still on uh, rule number one, get to know your dog. Number two, Second category is their breed. Now, the reason this is second and not first is because people get too hung up on the breed and not enough on the dog's personality. This is what I was just talking about, where people clump everything together and they say, oh, well, my dog's a German Shepherd, so they must like a tennis ball. Or my dog's a retriever, so they must like hunting. That's not true. I've worked with plenty of quote-unquote hunting dogs that want no part of a retrieve. They don't want to pick something up they don't want to carry it to you they want no part of it yes you can teach them to do it right you can you can what's called the forced retrieve is the old way to do it but you can shape the behavior teach them to pick something up they enjoy it they bring it over to you they get a treat or a different toy and the life is good but if you start clumping your dog together into breed specific categories although yes there's a time and a place for it if you're going to blame your dog's breed or you're going to say well, I have to do this particular exercise or I have to do this particular approach because of my dog's breed, then you're missing the point. First point, dog's personality. Second is their breed. I've worked with Belgian Malinois who are typically police dogs, military dogs. I've worked with them that are so afraid they can't even jump into a car. If I look to the breed first and I said, well, it's a Belgian Malinois, it needs to be able to jump into the car. I'm going to approach it in a different mindset than, oh, well, this dog's nervous. And it just so happens to be a Belgian Malinois. Okay, same thing with any other dog that you're thinking of. Oh, well, I have a teacup Yorkie. Well, that means they love being held and put into tiny purses. That's not true. Dog personality comes first. My dog hates being held. It's a teacup Yorkie. They hate being held. Okay, well, then I'm not going to hold them, and I'm going to disregard the fact that it's a teacup Yorkie. I'll have to teach them that it's okay for me to hold them. And then lastly their individual needs. As you spend more time with your dog, if you just got a new dog, or you're starting to take training a little more seriously, I want you to note and observe what your dog likes, what they dislike, and their individual needs. One of the first things I noticed about my dog Hawkeye, who is a Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever, is that he loved drinking water too much. And so he would drink water and right afterwards throw up and then go right back to drinking water. that's not what I like, right? I don't want to have to keep cleaning up every single time he needs to drink water. And so his individual needs were that I had to watch him drink water and stop him before he drank too much. So it's about 15 gulps. He'll drink 15 gulps, and I say, that's enough, and he'll move away. I give him a treat, and then we do something for 30 seconds, and he's allowed to go have the water afterwards. But I don't want him constantly getting sick over it because he's just downing water. And it's not that he's thirsty. It's not that we're even doing anything. He just loves drinking water. And so his personality at first is, I love playing, I love running around, I love having this grand old time. His breed is a retriever, so he loves playing fetch. And then his individual needs are, well, I got to stop him from drinking water that way. Otherwise, we're going to have a mess every 30 seconds. So this helps you tailor your approach and make your training a little bit more effective. Because you're observing your dog, you understand what they like, you can pick out the preferred reinforcement. This is the first step I always do with my clients. We got to find the preferred reinforcement. Once you set that stage, then... We can more effectively go through the training plan knowing that we are going as fast as possible for our dog now our dog's personality breed and individual needs are also going to tell us how fast they learn some dogs do not pick up things very quickly they can learn to pick up things as they learn how to learn but in the beginning stages they might struggle they might be confused maybe their past experiences are telling them that they need to slow things down because they're nervous of getting punished I want to take a moment and thank all of our loyal followers. This podcast would not be possible without you. Leave a review and let us know what you like and want to learn on the next episode of the Acknowledge Dogs podcast. Now, back to the show. Right? Dogs speed up when we talk about, and we're actually going to talk about this in a little bit, a little bit about enjoyable experiences, but when we have situations that our dogs don't feel comfortable in they're not going to want to you know what we'll just segue (laughs) we'll just segue into rule number two because i'm starting to talk about it anyway rule number two is make it an enjoyable experience make it an enjoyable experience now positive reinforcement training can make training a more enjoyable experience for you and your dog and it's because we've taken into account the personality breed and individual needs right we've already taken that account And now we can effectively give them what they want in order to do what we want them to do, right? So if we were trying to force them to do something they didn't want to do, then we're going against the grain here, where we're fighting them on every single thing. I tell them to sit, they don't want to sit. I tell them to down, they don't want to down. I tell them to recall to me, they don't want to recall. Instead, flop that and say, hey, when I recall you, if you come to me, I'll give you a treat. I'll give you the thing that you really, really love. And I'm going to tailor that specifically towards your personality, your breed, and their individual needs. So now when you come towards me, I can give you the the amazing stuff that you love. And you will find it more enjoyable to recall to me. What I was talking about a moment ago was the fact that they actually become more creative. Dogs learn faster when they are in a good experience. It could take, and this goes the same for humans, it could take a couple hundred repetitions... For a dog to gather new information, for you to gather new information, but you have to do it so many times over and over and over and over again before you actually start to digest it and go, oh, okay, and the the light bulb goes off in your brain and you know what you should be doing. You have to do that hundreds of times, unless it's paired with an enjoyable experience. Your brain opens up, you take in more information because our brain wants to remember enjoyable experiences. They don't care about remembering mundane or punishing experiences right? Even though, you know, in life, people have experiences that are traumatic and they remember them every single day. That actually is your brain trying to figure out a solution for it and then get rid of it. it. doesn't want to hold on to it. It's like, okay, how can we solve this in our brain? That's why people have nightmares. How can I solve this in my brain and then get rid of it so I can start to enjoy the things again? But enjoyable experiences, if you look back and you really think about an enjoyable experience you've had in your life, you feel light. You feel like you're, you know, the sky is blue. You're smiling. Everything is amazing. Everything's fantastic. And so when you start to think in that way and then try to learn something, you'll learn it 10 times faster. That's a little personality tip for you. It's a personal, individual tip for you. But with your dog, it's the same thing. If they're enjoying the process, they're going to learn it a lot faster. So you want to make it as enjoyable as possible. You are asking your dog to do this. They would not naturally do whatever training you're trying to work on. They would not naturally do this in their daily life if you didn't set out to teach them. So it is your responsibility to teach them as enjoyable as possible, right? They didn't ask to be a guide dog. They didn't ask to be a working dog. They didn't ask to be on a leash next to you all the time. So it's your job to make it as enjoyable as possible so that they have a better quality of life, right? Wouldn't you want to have your dog have a good quality of life? You don't want to be fighting with them. You don't want to be stressed. You don't want to have animosity between the two of you. No. guys want to have a good relationship an enjoyable experience through life together that's why we have dogs okay moving on to rule number three consistency is vital to your training success as i said professional dog trainers agree across the board that consistency is vital if you do not stay consistent with your training program whether it's one methodology or another If you don't stay consistent with that training program there is nothing you can do to train your dog effectively there's nothing there's no cheat code i mean there are nine cheat codes i talk about in my book the dog training cheat codes one of them being consistency but there's there's nothing else you can't do anything once a month and expect to change you have to do it every day maybe sometimes multiple times a day so you have to be consistent with your training and that is broken up into two pieces here One, the methodologies you're using, so you got to stick to a methodology. If you keep going back and forth, you're all over the place. And your training schedule, you got to stick to your training schedule. How often are you going to train? But also, the commands you use. I've added this in here because of how often I get (laughs) some ridiculous amounts of times people are saying commands over and over again, or they're changing it up every single time. Dogs don't understand English. They don't understand our language. They understand tones, and they understand patterns of tones. So when you say the word down, they don't hear the word down and then define it in their brain and say, oh, it's when my belly touches the floor. That's not what they say. They say, oh, I know that sound, and I do this thing when that sound comes out, and I get a treat. But if you're saying lay down, relax, down, settle, just go down, buddies, right? You're just saying all these random things. Hey, come here, lay here. Your dog's not going to pair them together unless you've intentionally taught them to pair those words with the actions, and you can do that it just requires a lot more training. So your commands have to be consistent, your training schedule has to be consistent, and your methodologies have to be consistent. If any three of those are not lined up, you're going to have a rough time. Now, I've seen plenty of people do one methodology for a little bit, and then they change methodologies. That's fine. If you change methodologies because it's not working after you've done it for a couple of weeks, then okay, that makes sense. You should change... You know methodologies, philosophies. Find something that works better for you. But you have to give that philosophy an ample amount of time to mature. Dogs don't learn in an instant. I believe the fastest way to train your dog, and I believe science agrees with me, shaping and positive reinforcement is the fastest way to teach your dog anything. So if you're doing anything outside of positive reinforcement and shaping with your dog, then you're not going to have such a short period of time in training, and you're going to have to give it more time to mature. That's just what I've known to be true after working with 12,000 dogs. That's what I've gathered, okay? So you have to be consistent. Every trainer will tell you that, no matter what it is. And that's why a lot of trainers do packages now. They don't do one-off training sessions. If you want to do training with an individual, you have to do a program. It's a longer period of time because you have to commit to it. That's where that came from. Rule number four, learn when to call it a day. Beginning trainers who are excited about training And dog owners who just want to see their dog succeed do this all too often. They push the dog past the point where they're tired and stressed and they affect their dog's ability to learn. So this is what happens if transversely, right, my dog is excited and they enjoy the process and they're, you know, opening up their brain and they're becoming creative and they're taking in all this information. What happens when my dog is tired or stressed? Well, their ability to learn goes down. They cannot absorb this new information because their brain is overloaded. That's the easiest way to think about it. There is more of a scientific definition for it. But your your dog's brain just gets overloaded. They can't focus. They don't have the energy for it. And you're just drilling something that isn't getting through to them anyway. So you need to call it a day way before that happens. And the last thing you want to say to yourself, the last thing any trainer should be telling you is one more rep. We're going to do one more and then call it a day. The moment you say to yourself, okay, I don't know where that accent came from. <laughs> Snuck in there. This happens every episode. I always sneak in an accent change. So when someone says one more rep, that's the moment you should have stopped. That's the moment. right there. There's a book. It's called The Power of One More. and It's always about how if you're in a stressful situation, if you're stuck in a predicament, if you just tell yourself, you know, I can do it for one more day. I can do this for one more day. Then it'll give you hope to get through the next day. This is not the same situation. It is not the same situation. When I want my dog to learn a new behavior, I want to break it down into manageable chunks where they can absorb the information and we can do more on the next day. But if I'm just drilling and drilling and drilling and doing the same thing over and over, my dog's going to get tired. They're going to get stressed because maybe they stop performing as well and i change my tone i change what i'm doing and my dog's like i don't understand what's going on and their ability to learn will go down so here's how you can recognize when it's time to stop number one right when you say to yourself i'm just going to do one more rep and then we'll stop for the day come on buddy just do one more for me and then we'll stop you should have stopped before you said that okay number two body language and number three energy level, body language. What is your dog telling you with their body language? Do they look tense? Do the, the muscles on their body actively look tense? Are they taking shorter steps? Are they leaning away from you? Are this is stress. Are they moving slower? That's tired. So you got to look at the whole body, not just the tail, not just their face, not just their pretty eyes. You got to look at the whole body. Look at their, the gait, which is how far their steps are apart. Okay. Look at the body tension. The muscles, if you touch them and their muscles are tense, they are very stressed out. So you need to stop right there. And then energy level, are they moving slow? Do they not look as enthusiastic as they were when you started your training session? Are they breathing heavier? Their energy level is going to tell you a lot, but only if you know what to look for. Same thing with body language. And this is what I struggled with in the beginning of my dog training career. I did not relate with dogs as well as people who grew up with them. I had to study a lot and understand the body language and the energy levels from more of an objective standpoint. How can I measure things? That's just how my brain works. And that goes back to uh, personality, breed, and individual needs. My personality was I was a scientific, objective-styled individual. My breed is I'm a human being. I'm not a dog, so I'm already at a disadvantage trying to understand dogs. And my individual needs were that I needed to break up the measurable aspects of body language and energy level in order to understand a dog better. So regular breaks are going to make your training way more effective. Now, I have two dogs, so this is how I do it. I'll train one dog for two minutes, two minutes. And then I'll train the other dog for two minutes. And then I'll go back to the first dog. So I just kind of back and forth, flip-flop, pancake between the two of them. And so they get two minutes of rest, they get two minutes of training. Two minutes of rest, two minutes of training. Not only does this make them more eager the next time I take them out to work with them, but it gives them time to digest the information we just worked on and possibly come back to the next session with more than what they gave me last time. It's very, very common. It's called latent learning. After you've stopped the activity of learning the new information, your brain has time to process and digest everything you just learned, and they can better organize it for your uses. Same thing goes with you. So that's why studying for 15 hours before an exam never helped you, right? It would be better to study every day for a little bit and your brain's going to understand the information better. That's what teachers were telling us for years and we all just crammed it at the end. All right, rule number five, the big one, avoid punishing your dog at all costs. Why is this so important? Why do so many people fight over this? Why do trainers have battles over punishment and positive reinforcement and all that stuff? Why is this happening? Punishment has adverse effects on your dog. They can cause fear and aggression, and it is not as effective as positive reinforcement. That's as simple as it is. Punishment is an, has an adverse effect on your dog. It can cause fear and aggression, and it is not as effective. How does it cause fear? If you're constantly punishing your dog, justifiably or not justifiably, meaning they did something and you, you perfectly measured the right level of punishment to stop them from continuing to do that behavior, which is why professional dog trainers get paid a lot of money because if you do that wrong, you create fear in the dog. They don't understand why they just got corrected. They don't understand why they got punished and what it was related to. So now they're afraid of you. They're afraid of the equipment. They're afraid of all of this stuff. And then if you have a dog that is afraid and decides to do something about it, they will become aggressive or a dog that doesn't think they should have gotten punished in the first place and has the certain mental fortitude to react will become aggressive. More often than not, it's fear-induced aggression. They're so afraid of you and the equipment that you've used to punish them that they will become aggressive towards you. Now, how is positive reinforcement more effective than punishment? Positive reinforcement works for any dog, any breed, any personality, any individual need. They're aggressive. They're fearful. They're excited. They're overstimulated. They're a couch potato. It works for all of them, and it's a humane way of teaching them what what they can do in order to get what they want, not what can you do for me to get what I want. What can you do for you to get what you want? The individual, this works for people as well, the individual is far more concerned with their self than anybody else. Right? Even as a parent, you are very concerned about your children. You're very concerned about your livelihood, your home. But you will protect the things that are most important to you, your children and yourself. The house can burn down to the ground. The car could explode. You could lose your job. The two things that you're going to care about are yourself and your children. Okay, Same thing goes with a the dog. They will care about themselves first and then you. Now, in some cases, just like with parents, it's flopped a little bit. They'll care about you more than they care about themselves. And so we have, to, we have to look again at that personality, breed, and individual need. Some dogs, will they want to focus on themselves first. But more often not, when it comes to non-life-threatening issues, the individual will focus on themselves first. So when it comes to dogs, positive reinforcement lets them focus on themselves first, but still allows us to get the appropriate behaviors that we want. I want my dog to stop jumping on guests. My dog wants to jump on guests. So if I teach my dog the appropriate way to allow them to greet the guests, they think that they're in control of the situation and I think I'm in control of the situation. It's a win-win. It's not I'm in control of the situation and my dog has no say in it. Right? But rather, both of us seem to be in control of certain aspects of the situation. You're working together. It's going to help you build a stronger relationship with your dog. And so how do you stop your dog from doing bad behaviors still in a positive way? Well, you can redirect their attention, you can distract them, but my favorite is to teach them an alternative behavior. Whatever you don't want them to do, instead of teaching them not to do that thing and just do nothing instead, teach them something that's incompatible and it's an alternative. So we'll go back to jumping up on guests. Instead of jumping up on guests, I can teach them to sit and give them paw then they're allowed to meet the guests, right? So you'll have to do that for whatever problem you're trying to solve. But essentially we're looking at, how can I get my dog to do something different than what they're currently doing in a more productive way by teaching them a new skill? And when you teach them that new skill, you wanna take into account their personalities, their breed, their individual needs. You wanna make it as enjoyable as an experience as possible. You need to be consistent And you need to learn when to call it a day before your dog gets to the point where it's stressed or tired. And then avoid punishment throughout the entire process. Keep your dog successful, keep them engaged, and enjoy training with your dog. Because that's the only way to have the type of experiences that you deserve. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I will see you guys next time. If you want to learn more of the professional strategies and techniques that trainers use to have fast results and reliable dogs, then you need to check out my book, The Dog Training Cheat Codes. The link will be in the description, or you can head over to matadorcanine.com forward slash cheat codes. matadorcanine.com forward slash cheat codes. Thank you for listening to the Acknowledge Dogs podcast. Subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and connect with me on your favorite social media platform.